Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Faster my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Westwood One presents The Polsters. The Polsters. And now, Margie and Kristen. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So we're recording this on, what day is it today? Wednesday. It is Wednesday. (laughs) Margie and I have been traveling all over America the last couple of days. I'm pretty sure it's Wednesday. Between the two of us, I think we've gotten like around six or seven total between the two of us, six or seven (laughs) hours of sleep. So this this won't be full on as loopy as the post-election episode. No, no. But like just my physical, like I physically feel like 50%. Yeah. Of the level of tired loopy that I felt that day. Yeah. We're not yeah. All the way there, but yeah. No, I'm definitely <laughs> right. I'm definitely we're not we're not fully firing all so all cylinders. But I think that can make for a better show. But yeah, but we're just like fat, <laughs> playing fast and loose here. So but we I the reason that we're saying what day it is today is because it's Wednesday afternoon. We're in the middle of a full comey hurricane. By so, the time we stop taping this episode, I mean the Rock could be the FBI director, <laughs> and I'd be okay with it. Like, so who knows? Who knows right. what's happening? Right, right, right. So there is no polling on Comey. We're we have some stuff about Comey, but it is not like what's the latest Comey impact. We have kind of older Comey impact stories, um, and then we have a song as well that Kristen picked that is also not about Comey, but maybe it is just. Cl- Squint and you'll see the coma, 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 coma. <laughs> come and go. Yeah, there you go. I told you we're losing our minds today. Coming in and out of the news. <laughs> this week's top lines. We'll talk all about Comey. Did he give the election to Trump? We'll dive into the battle of the Nates and whether or not Comey is responsible for President Trump, who just showed him the door. Then we will talk about Ace HCA2 Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> is the second round of the healthcare uh, law more popular with Trump voters? Why or why not? Then, pretty much the biggest thing ever in polling Nerdland went down the APOR report. We'll talk a little bit about that. We'll touch on the French polling uh, in their elections. And we'll wish a happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. That's right. And one other thing we want to note, and you're in luck, John Chair. I don't know if John Chair, I don't know if you pronounce. Your name, John Cher, or if it's John Chur, 
or I'd like to think it's John Cher, like you are a full on Cher fan, which I salute. Um, but he, you're trying to win, you're trying to win back more stars. <laughs> we he, we got a review that was not a five star review, no. and we we're trying to address this concern because we listen to you all, and That's we want right. to be responsive. Feedback is a gift. That's what they say. So he, John Cher, says he's a longtime listener who has amplified our show and told other folks to listen, to, um, but says that we don't spend enough talk enough time talking about. What happened? Why was the polling wrong in 2016? Which I got to say, I feel like we talk about a lot. But t- today you're in luck, John Sher, because we are really talking about that yes. a lot. If, like, you, <laughs> if you crave the like self-flagellation and, you know, wearing of hair shirts and saying like, we're so sorry. Today's the day. Today's <laughs> your lucky day. We got boatloads of info for yeah, you. Yeah, so you can like turn up the share. I'm more of like a... Um, Whitney Houston person than a Cher or like a Lady Gaga like in that genre I would put Cher I would put like Bette Midler all like ahead of of Cher but whatever floats your boat you know put that all on and listen to us talk about what happened (laughs) with the new APOR report but first we have the poll of the week folks may remember back when we did a Walmart moms set of focus groups back in 2016 with my Republican partner in crime on that project Neil Newhouse we asked uh, voters, what animal or car do you think the different candidates would be? And every all the answers for Clinton were just cats, various kinds of cats, like every kind of cat, basically. And the answers for Trump were like either very fast or muscular cars. Wasn't a cheetah one of them for Trump? Trump? Yeah, I mean, he also had like you know Lamborghini, Ferrari, uh, yes, Rolls right. Royce, and then Anaconda, which is like if you for oh, folks God. that if you're writing your dissertation out there, out if you're, it was in the Washington Post. So if you're writing your dissertation uh, like gender discourse in the 2016 election, just cite go look it up in the Washington Post <laughs> and use that, please, because <laughs> it is so ridiculous. Anyway. Glenn Bolger, who is one of Neil's partners, did a set of uh, focus groups and a poll with the folks at Crystal Ball, Larry Sabato. And they asked if Trump were an animal among Trump supporters. And so he got lots of lions. So now he he is the king cat. Lion was 19 out of second place was Tiger with six. Yeah. So he's also at first when, it, when we had those results last time, I'm like, oh, they're all saying, you know, cats for Clinton. Like it's just this, you know, gender dynamic. But now Trump is getting lots of cats, lion, tiger and then dog, elephant and badger kind of round out the list. Um, and that lots of people, the the attributes they assign to him, for, if you are a Trump supporter, it's that he's a confident, powerful leader and that he's successful. So. There you go. Trump's Trump's a lion. Yeah, but they also wrote postcards to Trump. And we'll see. We can think about these as we talk about this Trump the rest of the show. Postcards to Trump. Um, my favorite was work on being a human being and listen to people. I mean, these are Trump voters. This is someone who – oh, no, that one's a Republican who voted for Clinton. But some of these are, um, you know, they are Republican-leaning in various kinds of switchers. Um or God gave us one mouth and two ears because we should listen twice as much as we can talk. So those are some of the postcards for Trump, which is a good qualitative exercise. Anyway, so that's our poll, or I guess for our focus group finding of the week. So let's talk just for a second about 
overall political environment stuff. So Donald Trump's job approval rating, surprise, again, has not really moved from last week. Disapprove right now is 51.9 percent. Looks like nothing's – if you were to look at this, you'd be like, nothing's happening. Yeah, this has been a calm first hundred days. (laughs) Just a big yawner. It's that nothing that happens changes anyone's mind. Oh, is that what so it is? So plenty is happening, but nobody's minds right. Changing. The number, so it's exciting. It's just not volatile with in terms the exception of, of on one issue. So we spoke a couple weeks ago about the ACA American Healthcare Act. Uh, the version 1.0 polls showed it was pretty extremely unpopular. Uh, it did not even go up for a vote. The issue kind of fell away, and then zombie ACA came back. And it passed the House last Friday. Uh, was it Friday when it passed? It was right after we finished taping. I think because we didn't even talk about yeah. it on last week's show, right? Uh, well, so now we have our friends at yes, Huff, Thursday. It was Huff like Post. late Thursday afternoon, That's right. right? So we have our friends at HuffPost, Pollster, uh, and YouGov who are trying to get a sense of whether or not people support this bill. And so they um, have asked they asked this question back in March, found favor versus oppose. Uh, you wound up with only a quarter of voters favoring, nearly half or over half opposing. But this time around, the numbers are a little different. It's still more opposed than favor, um, but favor gets 31 percent, oppose gets 44 percent. And a big part of this is because while Clinton voters are even more opposed this time around, uh, Trump voters are much more favorable this time around. So now that it has succeeded and at least made it through one chamber of Congress, uh, it has been counted as a quote-unquote win for Trump. Trump's folks were holding you know, their big victory press conference. And Trump's voters have responded now instead of in the, the last poll they had taken at the end of March – Favor was only 45 percent. That has now jumped to 75 percent. So Trump voters responding very well to what they perceive is a win for their president. Yeah. And I think I think this was Harry Anton at 538 who did this analysis. Harry, who wants to be on our show, he tweeted, although I'm not sure he listens to our show, but I know he has tweeted that he wants to be on our show. And I think he was the one who did a whole layer of analysis looking at past healthcare efforts and how once they start, you know, they may start okay, but then they become less popular the more people talk about them because there's so much, it's so complicated. It's, there's so much to um, take apart and ways that people can be nervous about the change and how it affects them that they end up over time becoming less popular, that that's happened in past healthcare debates. Is that happening with zombie Zombie healthcare, a haka too, or what have you. Um, you know, maybe not by this particular bullet here, but it, it, what's going to happen as this now gets discussed in the Senate? We'll we'll see. We don't know. We don't have quite enough information. And obviously, with all the Comey stuff, this is now not even in. This is not on people's three. radar. It's not mm-hmm. on people's radar. Um, and then there was just one last question that YouGov asked: Do you think this is actually going? How is this going to affect you personally if it passed? It's obviously not a surprise that there's real partisan breakouts here. Clinton voters, a majority of them, about six and ten, say it's going to make things worse for them. But only 41 percent or 34 percent of Trump voters, just about a third, say it's going to make things better for them. A plurality say it's not going to really change things either way. Um, People who are non-voters are really kind of all over the place. They're not sure. And if you look at then the overall 
a plurality say they're not sure how this is going to affect them. So, yeah, this is one of those things where I'm I, people, you know, there were talk that on the House floor there were folks, House Democrats singing, hey, 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 goodbye to the House Republicans. I'm not. Well, first of all, this has to go through like eight more uh, rounds of, you know, committees and chambers. And it's got a long way to go before it ever became law. And it probably won't look anything like it does now before it becomes law. But I'm not convinced that people will that swingish voters will punish people or will switch their vote based on a law that doesn't pass. Whereas if something does pass and then it causes something negative to right. happen to them, heck yeah, they'll vote on it. Right. Um, but on the other hand, I think it's it is a problem for supporters of the law that even folks who support it aren't really sure that it's going to be good for them. Whereas the folks that oppose it really do think that like bad stuff is going to happen to them personally. Like that will create an intensity gap that is not good for supporters. Right. And I think that it's just a tough ish issue to message around regardless, mm -hmm. you know, e even in kind of the best of scenarios. And when I hear some of Republican, like I heard a Republican member of Congress who's a doctor talk about this in, it, with a lot of fluency, but with so much granular detail, it's really going to be hard for a lot of voters to say, oh, I get it. The health care bill is going to do X other than not be Obamacare. So I'm sure there'll be more. Ahaka, Ahaka part three. Um, so on to Comey. So we don't have any new Comey data, but we do have some recent Comey analysis. We have the, the Nate versus Nate Titan battle. Nate versus Nate on Comey. I mean, can you get even more, <laughs> you know, I don't know what, like just more polling excitement than that? Oh, yeah. So we have we have Nate Cohn from The Upshot versus Nate Silver at 538, uh, who have each produced an analysis of uh, diving into the question. Was Jim Comey's letter to the FBI or from the FBI to Congress saying, hey, guys, we are looking into some new stuff on a new computer that came in from a totally different investigation? Just FYI, did the release of that letter on that Friday change the result of the election? And the Nates are divided. So first, I believe the first person that put something out on this was Nate Silver. Right. I think Nate Silver went first. Yes. And was pretty – I remember seeing a tweet where he said like it's extremely clear that of course if you look at the polls, she was up. Then the letter came out. Then she was down and down by enough that that shift was enough to hand her some of those blue states that became red and game, set, match. So he is of the mind that – Yes, the Comey letter probably cost Clinton the election. Nate Cohn, on the other hand, thinks maybe not so much um, that her polls were already slipping, uh, that there may have been other things at play, uh, that you can't just say it was the Comey letter. Yeah. And, you know, they both have charts. And so it's interesting. They both have charts. And obviously, we link to all these things in our show notes. And it, Nate Silver uses the 538 average. And Nate Cohn, I think. It looks like it's an aggregate of all national polls. I mean, they both are looking at national polls. And Nacon plots when the polls were taken versus when they're released. Because when they're released, so if a poll comes out today, today is Wednesday. I'm pretty sure it's still I Wednesday. I think it's Wednesday. <laughs> so then if a poll comes out today, it wasn't called today. It was completed. It may not even have been completed through last night. It may have ended Sunday night, for example, depending on 
the polling outlet. So, you know, he grabs when the polls were completed. So you're you're looking at actually how the polls may have been reacting to the news. And I think that's a good distinction. But if you put both of these polls side by side or the charts side by side, you see that for in both of them, there is a dip going on for Clinton before the Comey letter comes out. Correct. So they are showing a very similar pattern, which is there is a dip going on. And then there's a the slope changes and the dip, the dip continues and the slope changes. Because if, if you are using Nate Cohn's analysis, he is looking – it sort of shifts all of the cur- – all of these curves and dips a few days earlier in time. It shifts mm-hmm. everything a little further left along the axis. So if you if you don't do that, then yeah, it looks like it dips a little and then this letter hits and boom, she collapses. But if you look earlier, if you if you look at it the way Nate Cohn looks at it, most of her dip has happened by the time the Comey letter hits. The Comey letter is is like rock bottom, but it's it doesn't cause the dip. Yeah, and I mean it, it, at some and then if you kind of read through the details with both of them, they both also say, well, look, this isn't really the only thing. I mean, you can measure the effect of the Comey letter. That doesn't mean that without it that Clinton would have won that's a, that's unknowable right what you can show is how the tr- how the line change at this time that's what you can measure um and that they both obviously point to other things that were at play higher undecideds therefore leading to late deciders to break toward Trump and uh you know uh, and we're going to talk about actually some of the other kind of cultural trends uh later on um you know, turnout and people converting, all, all those kinds of different things that played a role. And that also that the Comey letter was not in a vacuum. There's There are facts and actions that led up to the Comey letter it was also reiterating the Comey announcement in July and so on and so forth. So it wasn't simply like a letter in, you know, in a vacuum. Yeah, I, I remember I was on real time with Bill Maher that Friday. Have I talked about this on the show before? If I have, I don't want to like reiterate it more people. Well, I so I was on real time that Friday that the letter dropped, and I'm so cheap. I never pay for Wi-Fi on planes because nowadays, especially what? if you're flying across the country, it's like thirty bucks. I sleep. I listen to podcasts. I get work done that does not require being connected to the world, and I relish that blackout. The problem was then I landed and all of a sudden this Comey letter thing had happened. And it was like, oh, okay, I'm probably going to talk about this on the show. Mm. But that was not the only thing we were talking about. We had also had as a topic um, all of the letters that had come out about Obamacare premium increases in certain states. And some states were more than others, like Ohio didn't really have an increase at all, but Arizona had a big increase. But that was the other topic that, you know, we – had prepared for and that was hot that week. So the Comey letter was not the only thing going on for sure. Um, but I do remember seeing that headline and thinking like, oh, man, like my my instinct was like, this is a big deal. It's going to change things. Then again, it was a couple of hours later that the news sort of broke what the computer was that Comey was looking at. Right. And like that this was actually all connected to the Anthony Weiner stuff. And it was like people couldn't oh, help themselves. Oh, OK. OK. Which is why it is so astonishing, I think, that the story lasted as long as it did in the headlines. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I mean, Nate Silver says – you know, the Comey letter wasn't necessarily the most important factor in Clinton's defeat. It's probably one we can be most certain about um, because that's one you can measure with a little bit more 
clarity than some of these other things, like how do you measure the, you know, the tone of the campaign and that's effect, for example. So, um, which by the way, so in Nate Cohn's thing, he says, maybe our Florida poll was a dud, by the way. He's talking about yeah. like, the polling, which the Florida poll is the thing that we were all involved yep. in, right? And that was like August. Or, and I'm pretty sure, if I recall correctly, that the waiting scheme that the Upshot folks came up with – well, first of all, it was it was not right up on Election Day. So again – It was in the summer. It was like a oh, July no, or August. It was, no, it was October, I thought. I thought it was an October poll. Mm-mm. Oh, maybe I'm misremembering this. Mm-mm. I swore that the poll – that the the Upshot thing that we all did was an October poll, which is why the fact that, you know, the result – the upshot folks had Clinton by one or that we had Clinton by one or whatever, that it was like, well, yeah, but the poll was a couple of weeks before the election. Of course, there's going to be a little bit of movement, no big deal. Um, but here – so I feel like being off by two does not make your poll a dud either. So I'm, that's why I'm like confused. I'm like I wonder if he's talking about a different Florida poll. September. September. OK. So I was wrong. Well, I was wrong. We were both wrong. Well, gosh, then certainly if you do a poll in September and it shows Clinton up by like one or two points and then Trump wins by one point. I mean, that is not a dud of a poll. And unweighted that came in plus seven Clinton, by the way. But yeah. Yeah. Unweighted. Yowzas. But that's why that's, I mean, smart weighting is so important. Right. It goes back to the whole point. Clinton was up, you know. There were times where she was up by a lot more and that was one of them. So, um, OK, so that's Nate. Versus Nate on Comey. And I'll just wrap up by saying that there's there's one point that gets made here, which is it's called Big Comey versus Little Comey, which is that like there's some big trouble in Little Comey. Big trouble. (laughs) Uh, That um, that look that he could have made a difference, but only because the election was so close. Right. That and when you have an election that's very close, anything can be the thing. Right. You can you can plausibly make a case that anything could have swayed that, you know, those Obamacare letters, they could have swayed those 800 or 80,000 votes that Trump visiting those states and Clinton not that that swayed those. I mean, you can you can Literally draw any anything. kind of tenuous yeah. connection you want. Yep. Yep. Right. And that's, you know, that's a common that is going to be just a common finding here or a common conclusion when, you know, it, it's hard to really pinpoint, well, this is the one thing because when something this close, especially in those in that many states, then it's really – it's either everything or it's, it's certainly not any one thing in particular. Um, now, another sort of myth debunked or myth explored is this um, narrative that – Trump voters feel economically depressed. They're economically struggling. And that's part of what drove them to Trump is that they feel that their economic opportunities are slipping away. Um, and there's been some debate as whether that's the narrative or that's the, the driver of Trump voters, or is it more about cultural or racial anxiety or worries or concerns? Um, and PRRI who we cite quite a bit. They always have really interesting explorations and they did a, a, a some work with The Atlantic and we'll link to the full report. They did a model and they just looked at white working class voters. So this is not all voters. They just looked at white working class voters and then looked what predicted whether or not someone in the white working class is going to be a Trump voter or not. And they found five different drivers. So obviously party ID, okay, fears about cultural displacement. So this this sense that 
uh, if you agree that you feel like a stranger in your own land. The country's changing so much that you feel like a stranger in your own country. That's a strong predictor of whether or not you're a Trump voter. Um, support for deporting immigrants who live here illegally. Um, that's a, a strong driver. That's not a surprise given how much that uh, uh, Trump spoke about that. The fourth point was this uh, feeling that college education is a gamble, which is interesting. If you feel it's like, you know, not necessarily worth it, it's a gamble. It's not necessarily a good um, uh, investment in your future are uh, – more likely to say that they were going to vote for Trump. And then the last thing, which I think is counterintuitive, was that people who were in the white working class but in real economic hardship were actually more likely to be Clinton voters in their model. Now, this was not the most statistically significant of the different drivers, but still it's counterintuitive. They included in the model. I think it is very interesting. It's good when it's good to look at the data rather than sort of, you know, making assumptions or just repeating what someone else said. I mean, I think that is a really interesting finding. Yeah, I'm really interested in this economic fatalism piece where the idea that if you believe that going to college is a gamble, that it doesn't actually help you, that that was something that is really predictive of Trump support is very interesting. Because I think that's the first time I've seen a question specifically asking about, you know, whether or not going to college has an effect on future outcomes. Like that, that to me is the most interesting finding here. And they do note that within the white working class, things like gender, age, region, religion, those were not actually significant factors here. Um, that, you know, your typical cross tabs that we have in the polling world were not the thing. That instead right. it's these other attitudinal. So, I mean, it, it's it's worth pausing here just for folks who don't know what it means to, when they say they have a model. They put it in the model. What does that mean? So that's, you know, they do a regression. Um, I'm assuming they use regression here where they put in a variety of different uh, different demographics, different attitudinal beliefs, different answers to questions. And it takes into account the co-variation between all of these elements. So, it, it, so for example, you know, party is the biggest driver. Now, men are more likely to be Republicans than women. But if you have all those things in the model at the same time, you are, you know, what actually is driving whether or not someone's going to be a Trump voter. Is it gender or is it party? So when we look at, you know, gender, that's why you hear me complain about this sometimes when we look at, party breakouts or gender breakouts. Oh, well, men are more likely to think this and women are more likely to well, think that. Well, men are more likely to be Republicans. Yeah. Maybe it's that Republicans are more right. likely to think oh, this. Oh, well, yeah, but we don't know. We didn't yeah. do the breakout. So th so this controls for all of that. Oh, you know, when you hear the phrase all things being equal or all other things being equal or holding all these things constant, that is, you know, basically like a regression. That's what a regression does. So that's uh, what it looks like they did here in this model. So that's why things like age and region, religious affiliation, it's not that those aren't those don't co-vary with whether or not you're a Trump voter. It's these other attitudinal beliefs are more powerful. So the next thing that we think is the big news in polling land. Oh, this was the thing that was happening last week, like as we wrapped taping our show, I think, was the APOR report. Right. Um, so APOR, American Association of Public Opinion Research, uh, having their big conference in two weeks. I'm going to be there. Margie will be there. Go find her. Say hello. Yes. I've promised her that there are lots of pollsters fans at these conferences, and she will receive a warm welcome. I can't wait to meet you all. I'm going to be there on Thursday. I'm speaking Thursday afternoon. Come. I'll be at the plenary, and you should come find me. And I will not be there, although I am for some reason listed as a co-author on a paper. <laughs> I think that was a mix-up. I am I am 
have a, a wedding I'm attending, so I, I'm unable to go to Aport this year, which makes me very sad because it's one of my favorite weekends. Typically, I've never year. been. So. It, you're gonna love it. It's great. Um, so they released their big report of what the heck happened, right? And Kylie, my colleague Kylie, was friend of the show, is former guest, part, is part of the. She was on the panel that helped write this and put this together, and so as well as Mark Blumenthal, the only person we've interviewed. So twice. if you, John Share, want more discussion <laughs> of where the polls went wrong. Buckle up. Here you go. No, so what this finds is, look, the national polls were generally correct and accurate by historical standards. They showed that Clinton would win by about three. She won the popular vote by about two. So take all the uh, offense you want at like what these national polls are stupid. Why do we even do them? Fine. Not going to find me pushing back too hard on that. But the truth is these national polls actually did get the popular vote pretty darn close, closer than they had four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and just as a brief digression, you know, the French presidential election happened this past weekend. The pre-election polls had shown Emmanuel Macron winning by like 24 points. And in the end, he won by 32 points. But like nobody's out there like, oh, the polling industry is in disarray because, hey, the poll said Macron was going to win by a lot and he won by a lot. So it, everybody feels like that's correct. It's the biggest gap that the French polls have ever had in predicting the winner going back to the 60s. So it kind of is a French polling disaster, but like people won't really say that because – we're right. all relieved that Le Pen's like, like oh, <laughs> Macron. Hey, by the way, I'm feeling super proud because I was on, talking about this. I was talking about Mr. Macron on this show. You were la première. Ago. You were I, la première. Like, I'm so proud that I finally kind of called. I foresaw a trend and it turned out to be true. That's right. He was the closest thing Using I'd ever no seen to a data. selfie vote candidate. Yeah. And now he is Mr. Selfie vote on an, an international scale. OK, anyhow. So the national polls were right. But the state polls... Less so. And the report finds that the state polls showed a competitive, uncertain race. I I feel like they are characterizing this in a way that makes the state polls sound better than they were. Yeah. Well, and look, the state polls were not all even, right? Like there are some state polls that were great. New Hampshire state polls, great. Virginia state polls, great. Colorado's, okay. Florida's, okay. North Carolina's, okay. Ohio's, an abomination. Like, I mean, there are some states where they were horrendous. One of my favorite parts of the report was was something about how it's like there it was really volatile. There were a lot of events, and here is a list of of campaign events that happened in the final few weeks, and it's just this list of like, you know, the horror show <laughs> campaign, <laughs> like campaign horribleness that happened in the last few weeks. So like, oh, you know, which I'm sure was entertaining slash painful to put together for whoever wrote that piece of the April report. Um, uh, oh, and Courtney Kennedy also was on the show. Several, like basically half this the people. This was our crew wrote this report. Yeah, basically half the people who are part of this thing were on, uh, have been on the show at some point. Um, and th- the thing that's particularly interesting here, and folks should read the full report. There's also some great reporting by Steve Shepard and Dan Balls and others who've written on this. Um, was testing the shy Trump theory. The shy Trump theory is one that people, you know, bring up a lot. I think people want it, you know, people want to believe it. Like people want to believe that it's true, that people, you know, one, it just seems like a, a good, exp- like a satisfying explanation. Um, and people who don't like Donald Trump take some 
solace and like, well, maybe they just didn't want to admit it because they know that that's somehow they know that that's not socially desirable. Um, but in fact, they did a lot. The you know the folks at APOR who put this report together did a lot of testing to figure to explore this. So they did callbacks. So they called people back who had been polled earlier. So you could see if they moved, which doesn't necessarily say they were shy, you know, they intentionally misled, but you can, you know, measure some of that, uh, some of that. And, uh, you know, there was a similar amount of people who changed their minds as in past years. It wasn't like drastically more, even though they were more disproportionately people who changed their minds to Trump. But it wasn't like there was this massive number of people who said they were Clinton or undecided before and then were Trump afterwards. It's the same amount of mind changers as past cycles. Um, the argument that we've heard elsewhere that the Senate candidates, also Republican Senate candidates, overperformed their polling, which would not, which would point to it not being shy Trumpers. Because if you were a shy Trumper, you wouldn't also be a shy Portmaner <laughs> or a shy, a shy John, Ron, Ron Johnson right, fan. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so so that's one. Um, they they explore it in a couple different, you know, then they also cite the Pew study done recently, which we talked about, which was not about the election, but about current views that shows that there's not a lot of change by mode effect um, when you look at, you know, uh, people who are randomly assigned to live calls or online. And then they also went all the way back and looked at some data going back to September to look, you know, to be able to do some more advanced statistical tests to see if there was more mode effect there. And they didn't really see that big of a difference there either. So if you put all that together. Yeah, it's they've they list here that there are three. It says there are a number of reasons as to why the polls underestimated support for Trump. The explanations for which we found the most evidence are and one of them is that Trump voters who participated in pre-election polls did not reveal themselves as Trump voters until after the election, and they were outnumbered by late revealing Clinton voters. Um, but again, it's it's not clear to them that it is the shy Trump effect. They right. note that it's not necessarily that people were Trump fans and concealing it, but right. rather that they – may have just been undecided, but they broke for Trump late, right. which is exactly what Tony Fabrizio told us in the interview that we did with him um, shortly after the election up at the Harvard Institute of Politics, that they just saw that those undecided voters looked like when push came to shove, they were going to wind up in the Trump column. Right, right. And, and the other two things that this report finds were part of the equation. One is what we were just sort of talking about, this change in vote preference uh, during the final week or so of the campaign. Did people change their minds when there wasn't time left for the polls to pick up on it? Um, they find here about 13 percent of voters in Wisconsin, Florida and Pennsylvania chose who they were going to vote for in that final week. And those folks broke for Trump by nearly 30 points in Wisconsin, 17 points in Florida and Pennsylvania. Again, that's back to the Fabrizio point. These were folks that earlier had been saying, oh, I'm undecided. And at the end all broke Trump. But the final piece, and this is the one that I think is the most interesting, is that they found that adjusting for overrepresentation of college graduates was critical, but many polls did not do it. Um, for national polls, weighting your data by education level was much more standard, but that in some state polls, um, they had just had too many college grads. And in past elections, that may not have been as big a deal because college educated versus non-college educated wasn't as huge a dividing line. And as long as you were waiting for things like race and age and gender and what have you, there were other things you were waiting for that were 
kind of fine. But in this election, with education being such a big divider, if it wasn't part of your waiting scheme and you had too many college-educated white voters, boom, there's your missing Trump vote. Right. And that doesn't solve all of the challenges. So the other thing that the report points to is the forecasting and that forecasting led people to believe that Clinton was a shoe in and so that had its own cascading effect in terms of coverage and people's, you know, sense and the, the conventional wisdom about the race. That's more of a reporting kind of qualitative metric of how we viewed polling rather than the poll, necessarily the poll outcomes themselves. But the education piece is important because that's something that, you know, we can all as practitioners start to implement pretty quickly. Because this education divide with white voters in particular, that's not that's not going to go away. That's something that we are all going to need to continue to monitor. So I think that's an important finding from here. It's still not like the easy button, right? It's no, there's no pat answer here that like, oh, if everyone had just pressed X instead of Y, then that you know we would have all known exactly what was going to happen in advance. Like <laughs> it doesn't quite work that way. But the education piece is important given what a big driver that was and will likely continue to be. Well, and one other thing is to go back to the Nates for a moment. So, you know, this report sort of finds the Comey letter probably didn't tip the election, um, that there probably wasn't a shy of a surge of shy Trump voters, but rather just undecideds breaking late when they did, um, that you had this education issue. But then they also really blame these forecasters. And so this would be a really interesting thing. If you get to chat with Harry Enton or any of our forecasting buddies down at APOR, would love their reaction to this. But the idea is that you had a lot of these forecasts that would take polls that were in some cases, few and far between, um, or that actually were showing things pretty close and would nonetheless come to broader conclusions that Clinton had a two-thirds chance of winning or three out of four chance of winning or a 99 percent chance of winning. And so this this report, it's the pollsters versus the forecasters battle, is sort of saying, well, the polls may not have been perfect, but the forecasters made it worse by taking what was so-so polling data and covering it with this veneer of scientific sparkle that made everybody think that it was God's honest truth because people don't understand probability very well. Or, you know, I mean, you don't see, you know, people may not understand probability, but if you look at something, whether it's 75 percent or 99 percent, I mean, all of that, that range looks pretty, you know, it looks pretty decisive, even if... I understand that there's a difference between 75% and 99%, but still, if, the, if you take the aggregate of the forecasts, it looks like it's all pointing in a very clear direction. Yes. So anyway, take a look at all those folks, uh, all those reports and links, which we'll include, because um, there's a lot of really good – they really – they got into a lot of the details. So it's definitely worth taking a look. Um, well, with that, I feel like we're now – Moving into Mother's Day. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to start the Mother's Day party ASAP. So do you have any fun Mother's Day? What, what do your kids do to celebrate you? So I'm not sure. Sometimes at Lucy's school they do some sort of, you know, craft. I don't know if that's in the works since I've been out of town. Maybe it is because, you know, five-year-olds are not very good at keeping a secret as I've learned from <laughs> other past holidays and Father's Days and so on. Um, my mother-in-law is in town, Joe, so we're going to celebrate Grandma's Day or Granny, as she prefers to be called, Granny's Day. Um, I mean, a mother, good Mother's Day for me, I guess I'm kind of – it's not the top tier 
thing that people want or say that they're going to buy for Mother's Day, which is green cars and flowers. Number three is special outing. I would like to like go to one of those new rosé gardens, not with my kids, like <laughs> by myself or with girlfriends or with my husband. very European of you. The rosé gar- Have you heard about these two? They're like, instead of beer gardens, there are rosé gardens. There's two of them. I don't know where they are. I haven't been to them, but... I don't. I don't really need to know anymore. I'm ready to go. <laughs> that's all I need to know. It's just the name. I'm like, great. That's exactly the genre of place I want to go to. But yeah, NRF, our friend in holiday polling, released a poll that shows record planned spending for Mother's Day, twenty five, almost twenty five billion dollars. I mean, that seems wow. like a massive amount. Greeting cards are really expensive these days, they as are. I've discovered. I went out and got all my greeting cards. Uh, and was pretty shocked to see how expensive they are. Although uh, my family, we've never been a big greeting card crew, yeah. and my husband's family is very into greeting yeah, cards. Same. And we'll send exactly the same. somebody, like they, like Chris will get multiple birthday cards from the same person, like just because they're all cute and different. And so this is like a tradition I have had to yeah adapt to i'm the same that's I'm their like, love language is greeting cards yeah i I'm, i know i'm really i'm terrible so at it. me and the papyrus down the street from my office we've we've gotten to become better friends yeah i know i just it's really it's very hard it's very hard for me not very hard i should say it's very hard but like it just seems like quite a bit of effort for a greeting card honestly like the roi for me is not quite there it seems like you know it's a lot of paper and you know, there's surely there's something surely we could do better for the amount of effort that goes into it anyway. But I know that seems like a ridiculous thing. But um, greening cards are nonetheless the top tier Mother's Day purchase. Clothing, jewelry, personal service, such as a stay at the spa. That sounds fun. Right. I mean, I'm sure it's something that most people have time for now, like Ivanka, who said in her book that during the campaign, she didn't have time for her massage. She probably has time now, like like every American mother. <laughs> <laughs> I am looking at this housewares or garden tools. I am not a mother of children, but I am now a mother of peppers. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just going to spend my Sunday hanging out in my garden, Aww. staring at like the two cayenne peppers. <laughs> That's good. I'm producing on my plant right now. That's good. They're like, they're they're the happy thing that I'm nurturing at the moment. That's good. <laughs> Just like my focus group intro, who or what lives in your home? It doesn't have to be. I know I've stolen that from you. It Sorry, it's a great a question. It's a good opener. I took it from somebody else. I did not come up with it either. I can't. I don't know who I stole it from, but I did steal it from somebody. Um, so anyway, that's Mother's Day. It looks like it's going to be a rollicking Mother's Day for folks around the country. So our key findings, feedback is a gift. So thank you, our critical reviewer, John Share, for keeping us honest and making sure we didn't get too complacent in saying that polling was good. Um, and while the 2016 election was dramatic, the polling quote unquote miss was maybe a little bit less so. And how did Comey affect the election? It's unclear, but we maybe need to start asking how he'll affect the next one. And happy Mother's Day to those who celebrate, including our own. Mom, so for me, that's Bobby and my mother-in-law, Joe. And for me, it's my mom, Linda, and my mother-in-law, Diane. And my sister, Jen, is about to be a mom, so I feel like I'm counting her. Being an aunt is really awesome. I'm so excited. It's going to be really great. Oh, I Being an wait. aunt is pretty, is pretty darn awesome. So, uh, oh, yeah. 
Now what do we do? <laughs> is today Wednesday? <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at, at The Pollsters, individually at, at Margie O'Meara and at Kaysoltis Anderson. You can find us at www.thepollsters.com, where we have links to all of our favorite polling resources. Also, follow us on Facebook, where we post links to the stories we've been talking about during the week. Write a review, tell your friends, even if it's not a five-star review, although we certainly, certainly prefer those. We are happy to take your feedback and want to make sure that this show is the best show it can be for you guys. That's right. Because we love you. And we love data. Okay, thanks. Bye. A Westwood One podcast production.